Good morning, friends. Good morning and welcome. Welcome, Lou. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good, good. Good. So we're continuing on our journey of uh, chapter 18. We're heading towards the end of the Gita. And as we said in our last episode, Krishna is going to give us some important tips over here in dealing with the world, our feelings, our senses, our vasanas, our desires, and how to make our mind calm. Mm. So verse 51 says, a person with a pure intellect who controls himself firmly, giving up sense objects, renouncing love and hatred, and stops there. Mm. He just stops there. So then it continues in the next verse. So a person with a pure intellect, so the word is pure, who controls himself firmly, controls all 10 senses, giving up the sense objects, which we can understand, renouncing love and hatred, which means opposites, raga, dvesha, likes and dislikes. So the pure intellect, we have been told, not in this verse, but we have been told that a pure intellect talks of tikshna, which means sharp intellect, talks of sukshma, which means subtle, and shuddha, which means pure. So he talks of pure intellect. He means a sharp intellect, a subtle intellect, and a pure intellect. Mm -hmm. What does those three things include? So Swami Chinmayananda, if you read Swami Chinmayananda, talks of an axe. He says an axe is a very sharp thing, can be a very sharp thing, with which you can fell a huge big oak tree. That's a sharp axe. However, that sharpness is only good to fell an oak tree. That sharpness is not good to shave your face. Hmm. Yep. Beautiful example. Similarly, you can have a sharp tikshna intellect, buddhi, where you can use it for mathematical calculations, geometric calculations, financial calculations, stocks, business, etc. But when you use it, you can't use that sharpness to understand what the subtle intellect understands. So the subtle intellect understands the um, brain in terms of uh, self and not self, false and true. Um, so these things that we are talking about now requires a subtle intellect. And I'll tell, give you an example. When I was working at the, at the hospital, when I heard about uh, the lectures on the Gita, I was so fascinated, so interested. I wanted to share this with as many people as I could. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this now. Yeah. At that time, I would go up to various doctors and physicians and friends and say, please come, come with this, you know, it'll change your life as it has changed mine. I remember two very famous doctors with very sharp intellects, very tikshna buddhi, very sharp, good with money, good with finances, great with patients, good with medicine, different fields. I won't mention which subspecialties they were in. I took them to the lecture, eagerly waiting to see what their reaction would be. And that then we would, as friends, talk about this on a regular basis. And I knew them for maybe 20 years. When we went into the lecture and the lecture started with this subtle talk of, 
uh, intellect and body and mind and feelings and vasanas and desires, one of them fell fast asleep. <laughs> and I've been seeing this man in grand rounds and other lectures, sharp as a tack. Yeah. But when it comes to something like this, the brain, his brain just couldn't handle it, went to sleep. It was too boring for him. The other guy, at the end of the lecture, although he didn't fall asleep, he says, all of this, he raised his hand to ask a question. And he asked the question was, he says, all of this is very interesting, but he says, a little too subtle for me. He says, why can't you just tell me what I have to do? Yeah. And the guru, the teacher said, what do you mean? What do you have to do? He says, can you not tell me a prayer? Can you not tell me a ritual? Just do this. And I'll... so he was not able to understand the subtlety of what we are talking about right now. And that's not his fault. He just doesn't have it. He has a very sharp intellect like the axe, but that's not subtle enough to understand what we're talking about. So a subtle intellect distinguishes between the self with a capital S and non-self, the in Atman and non-Atman. Mm -hmm. That only develops, you have it. Some people have it, some people don't have it. You can sharpen it that subtle intellect by studying the scriptures as you're doing now. Sitting with other people who talk about these kinds of things, that's called satsang. By contemplation, thinking about whatever you heard, making notes, reading them on what you learned. It takes years. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, just like we talked last time about vasanas, thoughts, then desires and actions, how that chain occurs, Listen to this about your senses. You have five sense organs which are constantly looking for something to, for a sense object. So your tongue looks for food that it enjoys. Your nose looks for smells that it enjoys. Right. So your sense organs log on, latch on to a sense object. Latch on immediately. When it sees something it likes, it just latches on. If it sees something that it doesn't know what it's about, it immediately asks the mind and intellect to discern what is this. And the intellect's job it is to decide, is this good or is this not good? Is this good or is this bad? That's what the intellect does, decide. And then the mind says, I want, I want, I want. So the sense organs latch onto an object. If the sense organs have seen this before and like it, right? Every person, a, a woman might say, you know, I like a blonde haired man with blue eyes. I don't like men with dark hair and dark eyes. If she's walking through a mall and she sees an attractive and she says, I like a tall man with broad shoulders, those kind of things. Right. As she's walking through a mall, she sees somebody that fits that description. What happens? Immediately, her eyes tend to focus on. On that, the sense organ has now latched onto a sense object that she finds appealing. Let's say she's not married and she's in search of a companion. She can't take her eyes off of that object. And then her mind and intellect starts to say, oh, this is what I like. How can I get this? Then a desire develops. Right. So the sense organs latch onto a sense object. And the eventually that leads to action. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> intellect then judges and discriminates. 
So there's steps between that sense object and the and the action. Yeah. The intellect then says, yeah, this is what I like. This is judges it to discriminate, says, yeah, this is it. This is the guy, tall, broad-shouldered, blonde, blue-eyed, likes, dislikes, evaluates, compares, raga, dwesha. The mind says, ah, that's the one I want, takes this information and says, okay, now act. How can you set up a plan to get this person to show interest in you? So all of that takes some thought and distraction from your higher ideals of what you want. So it's distracting. Now, you cannot stop. Once it gets to the level of the intellect, you, once it gets to the level of the mind, it's in, it's gone. It's like a waterfall. Once it goes past a certain point on the waterfall, it's straight down, like the Niagara Falls. You can stop it at the point of the sense organ. You can stop it even at the point of the intellect. But it, once it gets to the mind, you cannot stop it. So this, the scriptures tell you if you, you, if you don't want to go this route, I mean, you may say, listen, I'm a young girl. I need to get married. What's wrong with this? Fine. For you, it's okay. But let's say you're a married woman and you don't want to have these same these things. Then... The scriptures say, and this is the example that's given in the scriptures, is be a turtle. Turtle, pull in all six of your appendages that come out of your turtle shell, which are the four limbs and the head and the tail. Right. So the five sense organs, pull them in, into your shell. So your eyes, instead of looking around for blonde uh, guys with blue eyes who are broad shoulders, keep your eyes down, focus on what it is that you're doing. Look at your child, look at your, uh, but don't look around at, at uh, things that your sense organs want you to look at. Right. Um, that's the first level of defense. The second is when your intellect says, hmm, let me compare with the previous guy I saw, Stop your intellect right there. Say, so don't think about it. Think about the Lord. Think about what we just heard in our previous lecture. When you get to that point where you're able to distract yourself that way, the mind doesn't get into it. So that's the second level of defense. If you get to the point where the mind now takes over, forget it. It's too late. Yeah. So you can stop the intellect from judging and comparing and condemning, but you can't stop the mind. And this is done by a shuddha, buddhi a pure buddhi and a sukshma buddhi, one that is able to discern and say, I want to go higher. Drop the raga dvesha, the likes and dislikes by the mind and intellect. Then we go to verse 52. Remember he left off at and. He yeah. said a pure intellect and then he went on and he says and. And then he comes to verse 52, which says and living in solitude, living in solitude, eating little, with very controlled speech, body and mind controlled, constantly doing meditation, having dispassion, and so then there you go to the verse 53. Yeah. So here he's talked about quite a few things, living in solitude, eating little. Let's, uh, let's uh, review those. Living in solitude means when you're focusing he doesn't mean go to the Himalayas, but even within yourself, what he says is if you're living in today's society, it's hard, but you can do it. But he says if you really want to do it, then find a place where you can be more or less for the most time alone. Ideally, of course, you go up to the Himalayas or completely alone for months at a time. 
What does that do, living in solitude? How does it help you to get to become one with Brahman? Number one, it, he says, you give up your attachment because you're away from everything. Yeah. And to get to that point, you have to be at a certain level. You can't just do it today because you, you'll sit there in the Himalayas and you'll constantly think of, where's Netflix? Where's, how come I don't have Facebook here? Where's my friend? Where's my husband? Where's my wife? That kind of thing. Yep. So by living in solitude, he says, you're giving up your attachments. You're giving up people around you. You're giving up the sound for your ears. You're giving up the world and you're giving up your phone and your computer. So a journey which we take alone. There's nobody there in that journey with us. Excuse me. Um, a journey that you take alone. Mm -hmm. So eating little. Why eating little? Because he says the tongue is another sense organ that is constantly asking for taste. Eating that food makes you desire more of the food. Heavy stomach, lots of food makes you drowsy. You get sluggish. You get distracted. If you just eat less, you have enough energy. You'd be surprised how little you need to eat. And a person on this journey, he says, doesn't need that much food anyway. Then comes controlled speech and controlled mind. Why does speech go along with mind? Because essentially your speech is an instrument of your mind. Because the more your mind races, the more you speak. The more you speak, the more your mind races. That's the reverse is also true. That if you stay silent, your mind starts to quiet down. That's an important thing. So he says, control your speech and you will thus control your mind. Control your mind and you will thus control your speech. Be dispassionate. Don't jump up and down with uh, excitement, happiness, or anything like that. Keep your body, mind, and your speech silent. Don't keep moving all the time. Try and be still. Keep your mind still. Keep your mind and your um, speech still. Let your mind not think of the certain things. So, for instance, if you tell your mind, don't think of a monkey when you're meditating, the thoughts will constantly keep coming about monkey, monkey, monkey all the time in your meditation. Instead, if you say, think of your Atman, Think of the self. Think of you as Brahman. Try and focus your mind through meditation on yourself, not the external events. Then comes dispassion, in Sanskrit known as vairagya. Dispassion towards what? Dispassion towards the false, the falsity, the falsehoods in this world. The falsehoods, what are they? Sensual attractions. Sensual attractions which are just temporary. Those are false, he says. Attractions of your mind, things that your mind get attracted to. Attractions of the intellect, those are all false. Have a dispassion towards them. So that's verse 52. Remember, he ended verse 52 with and. And verse 53 continues. And having gained freedom from egoistic feelings, me, 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 I, 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 freedom from power, freedom from anger, freedom from arrogance, <clears throat> freedom from desire, freedom from covetousness, me, mindness, being at peace, then one is fit to become one with Brahman. Remember, all of these that he gave us were clues as to how to become one with Brahman. And so he says, 
once you have freedom from minus, minus, me, 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 mine, mine, then you're free from your ego. You give up your desire for power, arrogance, desire, anger, covetousness. Drop all of these. Become free of possessions. I saw somewhere on a TV program, some Japanese people were talking about what they learned. And obviously, a lot of this came from the scriptures. They just give up your possessions. I don't know if you saw this, Luke. No, I didn't. Where a person starts with how much his apartment, and in Japan, they have small apartments, cluttered with things all over. And they said, you know, just start slowly giving up things. So the TV program starts following these couple just giving up one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. And each time they show how much less they have until one day they're completely naked in the apartment with nothing in uh, them. Okay. Yeah. And they say, how much freer we feel. And the end point was, they, uh, they, they, they said to both of them, what would you like? What would be the first thing that you would like when, if you want to reintroduce something? The woman said clothes. Yeah. Um, and second, what would you like? She said like a toothbrush. Hmm. The man said the first thing he said was TV. <laughs> <laughs> so Krishna says, drop your, become free of possessions. Be silent and peaceful. Then you're one ready now to become one with Brahman. We are already Brahman. As I said in the previous episode, we are already Brahman. You have to be free of this I-ness attachment. This I-ness blocks that ability to get to be one with Brahman. You don't have to drop your ego. You don't have to drop your Ankar. If you just focus on the higher, the self, the Ankar drops on its own. The Raga Dvesha, I like this, I don't like this. It gives you strength when you say, I like this. It gives you that strength to try to acquire that, what you like, to hold on to it because you say, I like it so much. Right. You need an equal amount of strength to drop your likes and drop your dislikes. So I'm focusing a lot now to say, you know, I don't want to say I like this food and I don't like this food. Just imagine that you're in the Himalayas. And you're begging for food from local people because you say, I, I, whatever you give me, I'm happy with because whatever I eat, I'm eating for God, not for my body. Your pride about your wealth, pride about your position, your name, your fame, drop it. Drop that pride. Just be humble. Your desire, your craving, this only makes you more attached, connected to the world. Drop your attachments. Your anger. Without desires, you don't have anger. Anger drops. So try and control your desires. When you feel angry, say, what, am I, what desire of mine is being thwarted that I'm getting angry? Yeah. Then collecting things, drop it. Accumulating things, drop it. Hoarding things, drop it. No I, no my. Then, therefore, you get shanti and peace. Then you're ready to become one with Brahman. Um, so that's verse 53. The total number of verses in the Gita are, well, for this chapter 18 is 78. Mm -hmm. So we are at 53. The next 25 verses will go pretty quickly because they're smaller, shorter. So we have maybe four episodes 
left, Lou. And I wow. think we should probably try and conclude with one episode or two episodes, just sort of summarizing what we've done in the Gita. I hope you will all join us uh, as we get towards the end. And then I hope you'll certainly join us for what follows thereafter, a new uh, yeah. new podcast. New adventure, yeah. New adventure. So thank you, friends. I'll see you next time.